Join seasoned entrepreneur, community leader, and Army veteran Scott Shalom Klein, who will take you behind the scenes with those who work in America's small business scene and speak with leaders making an impact, creating jobs, and telling their story in entrepreneurship. So let's get down to business. On AM560, The Answer, here's your host, Shalom Klein. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember... You can always download podcasts on my website at sykline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. So let's jump right in. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Carrie Sparrow, who's the founder and CEO of Wagescape, where they provide developers, uh, analysts, and consulting firms with access to the world's largest, most up-to-date labor market data collection. This makes the labor market more transparent opening the doors to tremendous efficiencies and world-changing innovation. Carrie, uh, I know, is a former U.S. Navy submarine officer, having served on several nuclear submarines, lots of 35-plus years of, of engineering, military consulting, and operations leadership. Um, so absolutely thrilled to have Carrie Sparrow join us on the program. Thanks for, so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. What an impressive background. Thank you for your service. And I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone and your background. So you have quite a bit of experience. What got you interested and passionate about uh, HR and, uh, again, some of uh, labor market data? Yeah, I've always been a really diehard geek uh, from the youngest age. And I fell in love with computers when I was really small. So that's what my education background was in. And then uh, when I got out of the Navy, I was in consulting and we were developing all kinds of tools and products and businesses that used advanced analytics to bring insights that folks had never seen before. And a lot of our clients were uh, either HR clients or working on HR related problems. And when I got on the corporate side, I got to bring those uh, to life in an actual setting and saw some real opportunities in the marketplace. My own business background is largely grounded in economics. And anytime you've got a really big market and really bad information about that market, there's all kinds of opportunities if you can improve the information there. And that was the genesis of Wagescape. Absolutely. That's that's great. We'll talk more about Wagescape in a couple of minutes. So uh, I have to ask really just as we get a finger on the pulse, and I know we're talking to the subject matter expert, what are some of the most currently in-demand jobs in the global market? So far, well, in the global market, it really varies uh, depending on the uh, uh, on the country, but within the U.S., far and away, and everything else is a distant uh, second or third is healthcare. Uh, it represents easily the most in-demand jobs in terms of hiring volume. It's also the field that is under the most pressure from a wage standpoint uh, and uh, competitiveness standpoint. That said, there's you know especially industries that are heavily reliant on really specialized skills or, um, or extensive hourly workforces, the competition for talent is, is withering right now. Um, and so that's manufacturing, it's supply chain and retail, uh, hospitality, and like I said, towering above them all is healthcare. Oh man, oh man, fantastic! Well, that's uh, good insight for all of our uh, for all of our listeners over here, both employers and employees. And I want to talk about talent recruiting because this is a hot topic. Um, many folks have been talking about the uh, shortage in some areas. You mentioned healthcare in particular is a is a hot market. Um, so, how can companies identify some developing skill trends so they can compete in today's hiring market? 
So there's growing resources available um, in terms of uh, what's going on with skills. Typically, especially when it when it comes to what do you what do you need to do in order to compete for talent uh, and pay competitively, not just to get talent, but to keep your own talent who's getting recruited constantly. Um, there's better information in terms of what market rates are doing. And that's something that we specialize in. But more and more companies are beginning to look through the lens of what skills do I need and where can I get those, regardless of the job, right? So regardless of the job title, regardless of where it sits in the organization, they're starting to get a handle on, on what skills uh, are necessary. And that information is also becoming much more prevalent from a market standpoint. So if you want to know kind of what trends are for specific kinds of skills, uh, like omnichannel marketing, for example, uh, the wages are going up. Um, emergency room uh, healthcare uh, professionals, you know, so folks with emergency room experience uh, or intensive care experience, also going up faster than than the rest of rest of healthcare. That level of visibility is now available, and a lot of companies are investing in tools. There's new businesses that are coming online to help companies see what's going on with the skills in their organization, where there are opportunities to perhaps migrate talent and deploy it more officially inside the organization. But the piece that's been missing is what's going on in the market and what are other companies doing? Because that that really affects the whole demand side of the picture. Uh, and so not only do you have to kind of configure the roles around the skills you're going to need going forward and, and by extension, configure your teams and, and your management practices, but you have to know where to get those skills and you have to know what to pay those skills. And that's something that is coming online faster than I would say a lot of the SaaS platforms that help manage skills internally. So there's good news there. Yeah, absolutely. That is good news. I'm chatting with the founder and CEO of Wagescape. Uh, it's Carrie Sparrow at Wagescape. They're providing developers, analysts, and consulting firms with access to the world's largest, most up-to-date labor market data collection. And Carrie, you just said the wage and pay word over here. So we've been talking about some of the trends in terms of the hot markets. We've been talking about, again, sort of uh, staying competitive. But uh, the salary uh, world is changing very, very quickly. How can our listeners, even small business owners and entrepreneurs, keep up with the competition in this changing market by predicting the future of pay? And where does Wagescape come into all of this? Yeah, so that's the problem that Wagescape was designed to solve. Um, so, you know, what we do is we scour uh, the world to figure out who's hiring and how much are they paying? What are they hiring for? Where is it? Um, how easy or hard is it for these companies to find the talent? And then we package all of that into platforms that allow folks to see, you know, what's going on with the jobs they care about and the markets they care about. And, and they're right to care about things at a very local level. Uh, not only have wages been going up um, pretty dramatically between 2021 and 2022, or I'm sorry, in the beginning of 2023, uh, advertised raises went up uh, an average of 20% a year across all types of positions. But when you look at individual positions and you look at individual markets, it really varied. Um, in terms of markets, there were parts of Indiana, for example, where the annual increase in advertised wages was going up 80% a year. I mean, imagine that, almost doubling what folks are advertising they're going to pay for jobs. Whereas other markets, like of all places, San Jose, uh, advertised wages were actually declining a little bit, uh, not much, but a little bit. Uh, so wage behavior has become hyper local. Uh, and you know, what you need to pay for an HVAC technician in Cedar Rapids, Iowa is different than what you need to pay, uh, in Minneapolis where I'm sitting, even though we're only a, a couple hundred miles apart from each other. Um, and so those local differences are especially important to understand. 
And that's, that's what we were set up to solve. There's a few other companies that do this too, but the tools that are available for folks now allow you to very easily not speculate. Too many, too many times conversations around what should we be paying are driven by so-and-so got this offer, which is usually inflated in the telling uh, from so-and-so down the road or, you know, a big kind of uh, warehouse operation just opened a plant and they're paying X an hour. And, and there's a lot of back and forth in terms of what truth is, uh, what uh, companies like us and tools like what we provide are set up is to take all the, the storytelling out of that or the anecdotes out of it and have a source of truth that says, as of yesterday, here's what so-and-so down the road is actually paying or saying they're going to pay for the positions that they're hiring for. Here's how much hiring volume they're doing. Here's who else is hiring for the same kinds of jobs we are. It's a level of transparency um, that's more immediate, more real time, more granular than has ever been available before. Absolutely. Uh, I'm learning so, so much about this, and I can't wait to have you back on for another longer conversation. And I've alluded to this in the show intro, um, but a lot of what uh, Wagescape's involved in is uh, supporting, again, developers, analysts, and consulting firm uh, you know, uh, around the world access your large data collection. So tell us why, uh, what was the void that existed previously uh, that Wagescape has, has stepped in to fill? Yeah, so if you look at where any anytime somebody is talking about what's going on with pay or what's going on with hiring in the economy, they're doing that based on data that's collected in some form or another through surveys. So it's very backward looking. It's very difficult to collect. It's very you know work intensive to do that. Um, relatively small sample sizes. So there's a lot of interpretation that goes into that. People with lots of PhDs um, that spend their time kind of understanding how to take a small amount of data and translate that into a view of the labor market. But fundamentally, it's backwards looking data and it's late. Pay data in particular can be between, be between 12 and 18 months old. And so it misses completely a lot of the trends that we've been experiencing over the last few years. So, you know, that's, that's like the biggest difference between what we do and what we provide and what has traditionally been available. And I saw that firsthand when I, you know, worked in the, in the corporate side. I saw how much pain there was uh, associated with that and saw that not many people were even thinking about addressing it. So that's why that's why we created what we did. Well, Carrie, so glad that we had you on and so grateful for the great work that you and your team are doing. How can we get in touch with you and learn more about your important work? Yeah, a few ways. Easiest way is to go out to wagescape.com, W-A-G-E-S-C-A-P-E.com. You can also reach me directly on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Um, really appreciate your time. Looking forward to uh, to link into uh, Wagescape in our show notes as well. And looking forward to having you back on. Thanks so much for joining us. A quick break here on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back when we return in just a moment. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Boy, am I excited for this conversation. Very, very timely topic. I'm thrilled to be joined by Robert Plotkin, who's a leading expert in leveraging AI to maximize creativity and innovation. His book, The Genie in the Machine, was the first and still the only work to address the impact of generative AI on innovation and the patent system. Robert Plotkin, thanks so much for joining us on the program. Thrilled to have you. Oh, I'm really, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. You have a very interesting background, a very rare combined expertise as an MIT-educated computer scientist and an educator and a seasoned patent attorney. So I have to, I have to hear the story before we dive into the genie and the machine. How did, uh, how did all of those things come together to become the, uh, the AI guru? Uh, and are you the genie and the machine? <laughs> uh, that, that's very kind of you. Yeah, I started programming computers as a kid back in the early 1980s. I was just always passionate about software development. I went on to study computer science at MIT, got my degree there. But I also I also loved arguing, writing, strategizing. You know, I wanted to go into the business side of things. I ended up going to law school and went straight into handling software patents for innovative software companies. I've been doing that now for over 25 years, first with a couple of bigger firms and then on my own and, and for the last seven years at a, at a law firm that I co-founded. So I represent growing technology companies, almost all in the software space and now increasingly in the AI space to protect their innovations using patents. Absolutely. And uh, AI is certainly a hot topic right now. And you've been following this for a lot longer than I think the rest of uh, perhaps some of our listeners. I remember clearly walking down the street, actually in Tel Aviv, Israel, um, when I heard a, uh, a podcast about uh, chat GPT becoming, uh, becoming so mainstream. Um, but you've been following this for a while. And I have to ask, Robert, is AI replacing human authors, artists, and inventors? It is becoming increasingly good at performing specific tasks that human authors, uh, artists, and inventors perform, like generating text and images, videos. Perhaps you've seen OpenAI's Sora recently, which is a text-to-video generator that just heads and, head and shoulders beyond anything we've seen before. But because AI can perform specific tasks doesn't really mean that it's going to replace at least professional creators. Instead, uh, as long as we in the creative fields learn how to use and take advantage of and leverage AI, what we'll do is make ourselves more powerful, more creative, more effective, more efficient, and then even more in demand. But I will say those people who don't learn how to leverage AI certainly are at risk uh, of not being in as demand as before, when pe other people can do the same things as them using AI. Well, let me jump in on that point. What skills do I need to learn in order to get the most out of the latest AI and to avoid being replaced by a machine? Yeah, you, learn, you need to learn how to command AI to do your bidding. That's why I used that name, the genie and the machine, back in the book I wrote over 15 years ago. I mean, computers have always been machines that we could control with commands. But until fairly recently, you needed a lot of technical skill. You needed to know how to write those commands in a programming language, which took a lot of training. And the, the real groundbreaking feature of something like ChatGPT was that it gave people the ability to command a computer to do things like write documents, answer questions in plain, natural language. Uh, without having to learn a programming language. In fact, people have now been saying English is the new programming language. So it's really exciting time that uh, something like ChatGPT is doing what we call democratizing AI. It's taking it out of the hands of just technical experts and putting it in the hands of anybody. But you do need to learn 
the tips and tricks uh, of how to write good prompts for AI, how to command it, how to instruct it, and then what its strengths and weaknesses are so that you know when to use it and when not to use it and when to use your own uh, a personal skill or whether when to use other tools other than AI. I'm chatting with Robert Plotkin, a leading expert in leveraging AI to maximize creativity and innovation. He wrote a book, The Genie in the Machine, which is the only uh, work that addressed the impact of generative AI on innovation and the patent system. Robert, you mentioned earlier your background, um, which uh, sort of the perfect storm coming together uh, using your uh, your legal expertise together with your passion for uh, for innovation and technology and so on. So I have to ask, how is AI being used right now? Now in developing these new products and services, and can these AI-created inventions be patented? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the book, I talked about inventions like new drugs that were being developed using AI, uh, all kinds of things, circuits, antennas, even software that was being written by or using AI. Uh, one easy way to understand how AI is used in the inventive process is that it can be used to perform simulated experiments. So think of drug development. AI can generate thousands, millions of possible chemical structures for drugs and then simulate how they would perform in the real world. It doesn't do a perfect job. But what it can do is radically speed up the process of experimentation and then give human drug developers a head start uh, for what they need to then test out in the real world. Uh, you know, Thomas Edison, when he came up with the first commercially successful light bulb, he just spent thousands of hours testing out different materials for use as a light bulb filament. AI is now making it possible to automate and simulate that type of, of experimentation that previously took tons of time, human effort, and, and money. And the short answer is yes, those inventions that come out can be patented uh, as long as there was some human ingenuity that went into the process. And in my experience, there almost always is some real human skill that goes into the process of configuring using and evaluating the results that the AI generates. And so I work on obtaining patents for clients all the time on inventions that are developed with assistance from AI. You know, I mentioned in my intro that I remember hearing of the uh, of the widespread uh, talk about uh, about uh, AI uh, just a couple of years ago. But the interesting thing is while we're seeing more adoption there's still a lot of distrust. There's still a lot of distrust, especially by consumers in AI. How do you believe, Robert, that that can be addressed to enable more widespread adoption? And as you said a few minutes ago, um, folks learning how they can leverage and utilize these new tools, and I'll underline that word tools, to help them in their profession. Yeah, I mean, the, the distrust of AI has a lot of good, valid bases for it. Uh, and, and so the first thing I suggest for addressing that distrust is to try using AI yourself. I speak to a lot of people who have a fear or distrust of, of AI, but they haven't really tried using it. So I think sometimes people's fears can 
be just based on a lack of familiarity. And what's so great right now is there are so many widely available, even freely available tools. Everyone knows ChatGPT. There's tools for generating images like MidJourney and Dolly uh, videos. And almost every piece of software right now is starting to incorporate AI features. All the Microsoft products, Word and Google, uh, Gmail, and everything is incorporating AI. So try using it out. Uh, work, uh, experiment with it yourself. That's on the user side. On the company uh, developer side, all of the major companies are working on and need to work more on being transparent about what they're doing to develop AI that uh, is responsible uh, and, and sharing with us how they're training AI systems uh, to, to produce um, fair, uh, uh, transparent results. And if they don't do that, they're going to engender continued distrust. So I think it takes a little bit on the side of the consumer and a lot of work on the side of the AI vendors. Well, the book is called The Genie in the Machine. Uh, Robert Plotkin really enjoyed our conversation. I want to make sure our listeners can get a copy of the book um, and, of course, get in touch with you. How can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is available on Amazon. I actually have another book coming out very soon targeted at people who are founding, running, growing AI companies. That's called AI Armor. So be on the lookout for that. You can always find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash in slash Robert Plotkin, or at my law firm's website, which is blueshiftip.com. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, Robert Plotkin. Thanks so much for joining us. Get Down to Business is powered by our good friends at healthplanchicago.com, Tom Mirabali. You can reach him again on his website for everything health insurance and affordable care at healthplanchicago.com. A quick break on Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Honestly, the joy of hosting the show is talking to amazing entrepreneurs like our next guest. It's Cameron Bowden, who has been on his entrepreneurial journey for over 13 years, starting with Green Mango Pest Control in 2010. He's run all of the hats in that company. And fast forward now to 2023, Green Mango has hit, believe it or not, 24 million plus in revenue making Cameron one of few to reach this milestone. Cameron Bowden, welcome to the program. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Absolutely. You've started many businesses, um, obviously Green Mango Pest Control, but also Coconut Cleaning, Agave Autoglass. I'm detecting a theme over here. Um, <laughs> tell us where you caught that entrepreneurial bug, my friend. Man, I just, I knew I wanted, I, that I didn't want to work for anyone else. And uh, I just started, I started in detailing actually before I started a pest control business, but I've never worked for anyone else. And, you know, that's, that's good and bad. <laughs> Absolutely. So why pest control? I love the residual income of pest control. And it's one of those things that once you put a system, a process and a manager in place, it's not like you're having to be very hands-on. And I just saw that value as a very young uh, person. Uh, I would look at doctors or uh, you know, a chiropractor or anyone like that, uh, in order for them to make money, they had to be in the office. And that just isn't the model for pest control and why it's so appealing to me. Absolutely. And as mentioned, again, I'm detecting a theme with the names of your businesses. We were just talking offline. Um, you are in uh, the Arizona market. Um, tell us uh, why, uh, again, especially as an entrepreneur, um, why did you pick that market and how, uh, give us a little insight into the behind the scenes of, of what you guys do. 
Yeah. So, you know, I didn't, this is where I grew up. So naturally I just wanted to stay here and, and luckily in pest control in Arizona, it's a very buggy market. Anytime you have warmer climates without snow, I mean, you're going to have success. So summertime, that's when we put on 80% of our growth. We specialize in scorpion control. We're one of the first companies, which I feel like is one of the big reasons why we've had a lot of success and why we're one of the biggest players now in the market um, is we, we guarantee scorpion control. And a lot of companies, you know, they shied away from that at the very beginning. But uh, we came in and we just said, hey, we're going to do things differently. We're going to show up in a nice flat black truck with 22-inch rims on it. And we're going to have our guys wear Nike dry fit clothes. We're going to be very particular in the way in which they service the home. So we have what we call tri-block technology. No other company has this. It's three massive barriers of protection, the fence line, yard, and perimeter of the house. And then we have a product that's safe for pets and also children. So you don't have to worry about you know harmful chemicals around the home. Um, and people love that. Our leading source of new customers is customer referral. And I'm really proud of that, especially because we spend a lot of money on marketing every single year. And up until, you know, last year, uh, customer referral is our leading source. Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with Cameron Bowden um, from Green Mango Pest Control. And Cameron, absolutely, you've talked already about sort of the systems and SOPs and again, consistency, how your employees show up on site. And Cameron, not that long ago, you were the one that were, uh, you were taking all the calls. You were the one running the routes. You were the one, uh, again, doing all of those steps. So what was the most difficult day that you've experienced as an entrepreneur? Is it uh, perhaps a, a day fighting with scorpions? <laughs> no, th- those were the easy days, man. Um, you know, so I started in 2010, 2016 for six years. I never made any money at Green Mango. And all of a sudden I started making money because I, I got a little smarter. I started hiring key managers and people in place. I was working 18 hour days. I started working eight hour days and it felt really weird. I felt lazy. And that's when I, uh, that's when I started five other service companies. I thought I was invincible because you know, here I did, I, you know, grew, grew the successful pest control company. Who's to say I can't do it again. And, uh, you know, so I started five companies in 18 months, got an investor, pretty much a blank check. And about a year in to starting five companies, I was $4 million in debt. He sat me down one day and said, Hey, I'm out. And that was the hardest day of my life because, you know, for many reasons, him saying, Hey, basically what I heard is you're not good enough. You're not doing a great job. And I had to decide which companies I was going to keep and which ones I was going to save. I had to do an analysis of, you know, hey, where's my return on investment if I put, you know, another two years into this business? And so, unfortunately, I had to let a couple of them go. That's a beautiful thing about uh, service companies is there's always a buyer. So I was able to sell them and get out of them. But, you know, terminating those employees or not terminating, but selling them to other companies and basically walking away after putting a couple of years into those things at that point. And not making any money, that's, a lot, that's something that people, employees, and a lot of entre- entrepreneurs when starting don't understand yeah. that when you sign up to be the owner, you're the last one to get paid. And sometimes you don't get paid at all when you start a company because there's just your margins aren't there. You're not running efficiently. Cameron, in 20 seconds or less, what's the most important advice that you have for entrepreneurs that are tuning into this program? Uh, have systems and processes in place and find great people around you that want to help you grow. You cannot grow without great people. It's the most important thing. Absolutely. That's phenomenal advice and something that we've heard consistently from many of our other uh, guests as well. So I know it must be true. Cameron Bowden, um, really, really a pleasure having you on the program. I know you've 
been on a rapid trajectory, not without the difficult days, but again, for 13 years plus, you've now surpassed $24 million in revenue um, at Green Mango Pest Control and many other companies. Cameron, you're an inspiration, my friend, uh, and lots of great advice here. How can we get in touch with you and learn more about your important work? Thank you. I love people reaching out to me. I'm here to help because people have helped me. I have, you know, Instagram is probably the best. It's my first uh, letter of my name, C, and then Baden, B-A-W-D-E-N. That's my Instagram handle. Reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you. Absolutely. And we'll link in the show notes as well. Cameron, I can't wait to bring you back onto the program, talk about pest control and so much more. You're listening to Get Down to Business, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. So I'm very excited. I'm joined by renowned transformation experts that Stephen Bowen and Dr. Terry Lyles who have unveiled their latest groundbreaking book. It's called Becoming Invaluable. I want to do that. It's a dynamic guide to reaching unparalleled human potential. Drawing from their extensive corporate ex- expertise, this book offers transformative insights for personal and professional growth, providing readers with practical steps to overcome challenges, achieve career goals, and establish harmonious work-life synergies. Who doesn't want that? Again, thrilled to be joined by Stephen Bowen and Dr. Terry Lyles. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This is a great book. You discuss the attributes of knowledge, skills, attitude, health, and strength. Uh, Can one of you elaborate on how these attributes interconnect and contribute to an individual's journey of becoming invaluable, particularly in this very, very crazy today's dynamic work environment? Well, I'll, I'll start off with uh, knowledge, skills, and attitude, and, and let Terry handle the health and strength side of this. Before I even touch on that, we want to say that the bedrock underneath of this is purpose and values, right? Having a true purpose in life and a set of values that, that become your guideposts. But without knowledge, skills, and attitude, you don't accomplish much. And we say it very simply. Knowledge is what you need to know to do your job. Skills are what you do with what you know, and attitude is how you feel about what you do. And so we need to be contributing. We need to make deposits into our knowledge, our skills, and our attitude each and every day. And by doing that, we automatically elevate our own self-worth. And that's what we're really talking about is how do we elevate our own self-worth? And Terry, I'll let you pick up with health and strength. Yeah, so the title of the book, as you mentioned, is Becoming Invaluable, which we split up the word invaluable. Everyone is able to add value to themselves and others. So that's really where the title came from. So the health and strength, as Steve mentioned, you know, with the attitude and the mindset is we're only as good as we are healthily, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And the strength side without some resilience and some flexibility stops us from being the best we can be. So the book is all about how do you become invaluable in your health, your strength to create a better and healthier self-worth, which creates an invaluableness in yourself. Absolutely. I uh, appreciate that. Again, I'm chatting with Dr. Terry Lyles, who has a uh, PhD in psychology and is recognized as a national, international educator, author, and speaker to uh, to schools, companies, and all sorts of different public audiences. And of course, Steve Bowen, who uh, has a bachelor's in chemistry with a minor in economics and business from Westminster College. And uh, he... Uh, he founded uh, 2004 and chairman and CEO uh, uh, Mainpoint 
through a successful uh, divestiture in 2019 after the company was recognized as top supply chain consulting firm by Forbes and Consulting US. So the uh, sub uh, the subtitle of the book, Becoming Invaluable, is uh, develop the willitude to navigate success. Those are interesting and intriguing terms. Can you provide some real-life examples of individuals who have successfully applied these concepts, demonstrating that they can empower professionals to navigate complex situations and excel in their fields? Yeah, well, we made the words up because every book I write, <laughs> this is my fifth book, I at least make up one word because it becomes published so my children will think that I did something that was invaluable, I guess. In their oh, life. good. <laughs> so it is what it is. But Steve came up with willitude. I have navigate. So Steve, start out. Start out with what is willitude? Well, willitude. When you sum it up, is the will, or if you will, willingness. Okay, the willpower to continue forward, and it's also the fortitude. And fortitude, you know, in the past used to be kind of referred to as physical strength, but in modern day, it's become much more about mental strength. So willitude is having the will to continue with a level of fortitude that sees you through the tough times. And we all have maybe more tough times than we do successes because that's how we succeed, right? By failing. And so that's really important to have because as we go through it, we have to navigate, Terry. Yes. And that's why I came up with, because I'm constantly talking to people, but sometimes we navigate people, we negotiate situations. Other times we're negotiating with situations and navigating people. So it goes back and forth. So it, it depends on what you're doing. So these two words that we use in the subtitle are consistent and congruent throughout the book because to become invaluable just means you create something that people want to be around. They want your product, they want your service, they want your friendship, they just, you're cool, they're fun. You, you just wanna hang out with them. It's a je ne sais quoi. You don't always know exactly what it is, but there's something there of value and we all have a potential to add value to ourselves and to others. Absolutely. Again, we're, we're chatting about the book, Becoming Invaluable with the uh, co-authors, which the book talks all about embracing setbacks. So real quick, before we have to cut the break, can you share a story from the book where somebody turned a setback into an opportunity for growth, again, uh, as discussed in Becoming Invaluable? Well, I, I, I will jump in here, Terry. I think it's the most powerful story. There's, there's nine different individuals in the book, and they're all powerful stories. The most powerful story might feel like it would be Dan Clark, who may be the most notable person in the book because he's one of the top 10 public speakers in the world. But I would, I would suggest that on page 211, the very last story might be one of the most incredible stories where somebody took themselves from, how shall I call it, um, a sustenance living, okay, meaning with support from uh, the government, et cetera, to Today, three successful businesses with a great family with uh, constantly supporting his parents. I don't know, Terry, maybe you want to add to that, but that, those stories are what really turned me on. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to cut to break. We're going to continue with the real life examples talked about in Becoming Invaluable. When we return, I'm get down to business in just a moment. As always, you get on my website, sycline.com, where we'll link to this fantastic read. We'll be right back.
with the co-authors of Becoming Invaluable, Develop the Willitude to Navigate Success. No, that wasn't a, uh, a, uh, a word slip over here. Those are two uh, newly created words by the co-authors, Dr. Terry Lyles and uh, co-author Stephen Bowen. Really, really grateful for them, uh, again, continuing the conversation over here. So, uh, Terry, Steve, uh, I have to ask, what there's a lot of self-help and, per, and personal development books that are out there. What distinguishes becoming invaluable from all of those others? And what advice would you share for our small business owners that might be tuning in? Well, I think it starts with just the title, invaluable. Like we all have a potential. You know, talent and skill are very different things. You know, God gives everybody talent, whatever that talent is, whether you sing, you dance, you write, you compose, you know, whatever it is you do. Skill is a discipline you put around it. So Steve and I wrote this book to have a skill set, which is a discipline to put around your given talent at birth to become the best you can be, which we consider an invaluableness that all of us have inside of us if we just can muster that and make that our reality. What I would add to that, Terry, is I would just say, for many people out there, at least from my observation, having worked for several different companies and then built my own and watching the people in the company is, you know, people want to be successful. They want to add value. They want to become irreplaceable, if we can use that term in, in context of invaluableness. And the challenge is, is knowing how to do that for yourself. So what we've tried to do, and I think what differentiates this book is we've tried to give the backdrop of the understanding of, if you will, the psychology, obviously where Terry comes in, to the practical application of, of methods or approaches, or if you want to go so far as to call it a process, for how you can actually help yourself become more and more invaluable as you move through life. Now, that's no easy task because it starts with having a purpose. And that's a really tough question to answer sometimes for people of what is my purpose in life? But it takes you all the way through not only the purpose, the values, and as we've already talked about, the five attributes, it continues to take it further from many of the aspects of, of what we practice in the world of businesses. How do we apply that to ourselves? And that's what I think differentiates this from all the other books of helping people to have an approach or a methodology that works for them. And that's what we've tried to create. Yeah, and I trained military personnel and ops on debriefing from post-traumatic stress. And most military people know what they're going to die for. What happens in PTS is when you come back, what are you willing to live for? And our book is trying to figure out what is your worth that you're willing to live for, not just die for, but to live for. Because Life is transient, you know, and we want to live our best self every day. And that is becoming invaluable. Absolutely. Well, lots of lessons there and lots of stories and examples in this fantastic read. I've learned a lot of new words as well. And again, I, I love the way you break out that word, becoming invaluable. Um, really, really helpful. And uh, while I can't uh, spell that out in our show notes, I encourage certainly all of our listeners to share this conversation. And again, pick up a copy of this read. And that's a perfect segue. Terry and Steve, how can we get in touch with you and find this great book? Becominginvaluable.com is the best way to reach us uh, from our own podcasts that are there and our networking. So becominginvaluable.com. You can get us on every platform from the book side 
from, you know, Amazon, Books a Million, you know. Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Target. It's on all of them. Yes. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. That's great. Uh, great to have two phenomenal experts and leaders on this program. And I can't wait to have you back on real soon. That's a wrap for us here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Of course, we'll be back next week with all sorts of great content, information, and leaders teaching us all about the small business and employment community. You can always get on my website, sykline.com. And of course, get on your favorite podcast app. Just be sure, just be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share so it's easier for others to find it. Let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.